0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 350 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Starhorn is co-founder and one of the original developers of Honey Badger, an exception monitoring service with deep ties in the Ruby community. She's spoken at numerous conferences, written extensively about Ruby, and most recently has worked to bring a diverse array of new voices to the Honey Badger blog. I am so excited to have you here, Star.
1: Thank you. Uh, greetings from Seattle.
0: What is your developer origin story?
1: Um, well, it it goes back kind of a long way. My parents um, actually ran a computer store when I was a little kid, um, selling these this weird like um, bootleg apple II system and like when i say a computer store it was actually like in our house so i just remember like having like our living room was just taken up by a couple of these weird um they were called franklin ace 2000s and they eventually that company got ran out of business because they were uh like they just literally like dumped um the apple II bios and just you know flashed it onto their chips so it wasn't actually like they they just like copied it so they got sued into oblivion um. Yeah. So I started um, playing around with those um, computers when I was around ten. They were pretty old by then, and uh, learned to, you know, program those in Basic a little bit. Then later on, when I was twelve or thirteen, um, taught myself Pascal and Assembly, and wrote some some apps that were like pretty okay. I mean, they're they're pretty big. Although they were, I'm like, they, I would write these apps that were um that would do something and be pretty impressive, but then they would get to a certain size and they would be completely unmaintainable because they were spaghetti, because I actually didn't really know how to write good code. Um, Yeah, then after that, I went to college for chemistry. Um, Didn't really do much computer stuff, just occasionally used it. Uh, Then uh, started programming professionally in around 2006. Um, I built a SAS live chat app using PHP, and that didn't really go anywhere financially, but that led me to um, meeting my um, co-founder, Ben, and we did contracting together for many years. Uh, then sort of in 2011, we were both working together on a job and we built Honey Badger and that's what I've been working on ever since.
0: Wow, that is absolutely amazing. I love that you had a computer store in your house. Uh, did you Were you nodded towards any computer science classes in middle school or high school?
1: Oh, no. I mean, this was a a small town in Arkansas, like they didn't have any of that stuff. I mean, it was also uh, like the early 90s. So I, yeah, so I I basically had to, um, everything I I learned, I sort of learned myself. And it was before, it it was before people realized you could actually, you know, make a living programming computers. It was, it was just considered like a weird nerd thing.
0: I love it. (laughs) So, star, I am definitely a raz- raving fan of Honey Badger. I've used it at my last three places of employment. So, for those who are unfamiliar, what is the total origin story of Honey Badger?
1: Okay. Um, well, Honey Badger is um yeah, if you have a if a listener hasn't heard of it, Honey Badger is an exception monitoring application like we give people a library, they put it in their app, and then when an exception happens, it notifies them and gives them lots of information. And I swear, I swear to God, this isn't a sales pitch, but I figure it's good to let people know what things are. Um, yeah, so this this story sort of goes back to um, around 2011. Um, and so like deep, deep time for, for computers, like it wasn't that long ago, but for um, computer stuff like this feels like i'm talking about the 1700s uh so yeah so i was working at a job with um with my friend ben and we were airbrake users and back then airbrake was like the sort of um i actually was the only exception monitoring application out there for rails or for anything like it was sort of invented the category and uh Airbrake had been um, developed by ThoughtBot, like that um, that company that's still around, right? They're a consultancy. And ThoughtBot needed a way to uh, see if errors were happening on their, their clients' uh, web applications. So they built this tracker and just kind of released it as an afterthought. And it just kind of became the industry standard for Rails for error monitoring. Well, um, ThoughtBot wasn't really you know, they're, they're not a product company, they're a consultancy, so they eventually sold it off, and the people who bought it just didn't maintain it. It just, it became terrible to use. So, you know, enter Ben and I, and we're customers of uh, of Airbrake. We are trying to use it for our projects, and it was just getting so flaky. And, and moreover, like, it, it just seemed like the people running it didn't quite care. Like, we couldn't get Uh, people to reply to our emails to them, asking them, like, how do I get my data, all that, so we're like, okay, we've got to do um, a better job, we've got to build a better one of these, and so we um, just kind of put our heads down on nights and weekends and um, built the first version of Honey Badger in like three or four months, and so, yeah, and and it just sort of took off really quickly because a lot of people were having problems with airbrake.
0: That is so interesting. So really the competition when you released Honey Badger, you, it was the difference between air Break and then I guess users just outputting their errors to logs and maybe grepping their logs looking for exceptions at that point?
1: Um, I think at that point there was maybe the exception notifier gem as well, um, which kind of gives you a self-hosted um, exception uh, monitoring service. But I mean, there's that has its limits as to the usefulness, and also self-hosted stuff is, is I don't know, it's a little bit uh, more of a pain to use.
0: Well, since then, Honey Badger has expanded outside of Rails, correct? So how has Honey Badger changed over the last couple of years?
1: Oh yeah, um, we do all sorts of um, platforms now, although, you know, I, I would say Rails is definitely still sort of our bread and butter. Um, I haven't actually looked at the the language stats lately, but I, I suspect it's, uh, it's really up there in terms of usage. Sort of beyond that, I would say that like the, the product has really matured. And so the story of the past couple of years has been a story of the product maturing of the company maturing. Um, and what I mean by that is, well, like we've got exception monitoring basically covered, you know, (laughs) like. Uh, we we add new features all the time. We add um, sort of quality of life uh, features all the time. But there's like we're we're not we're we're not majorly overhauling the product um, anymore. And moreover, we've um, you know finally sort of fixed a lot of the rough edges that uh, were left over from when we were rushing to market like I don't know ten years ago or however long ago and it's just kind of uh, yeah and you know similarly like um, our growth trajectory is like it's not the sort of rocket ship up that it used to be but it's still up and that's honestly one of the nice things about having a sort of bootstrap business where you're not tied to the VC model or anything like that because like we're allowed to just have this company where you know we're growing we're happy we're maintaining it and um, yeah, and we don't uh, we don't have to pivot into um, some new market uh, just because our investors aren't happy with the returns. Yeah, so I don't know. It's uh, that's that's sort of one one aspect, and then the second thing um, that's sort of been a kind of a major shift for us over the past few years is we've actually started hiring beyond um, beyond the initial sort of three founders. Um, You know, we started with the three of us. We did all the work, and for several years, we we um, continued doing all the work. After a while, we started bringing on freelancers, and you know that was it's really helpful. But but freelancers are kind of unreliable as a group, Uh, and so yeah. So we eventually sort of bit the bullet and started hiring full time, and so now we're a company of five people total. Um, it was going to be six, but then COVID hit and we decided to sort of not hire um, that role or, or just, just delay it a little while. Um, but yeah, we're just like this tiny company, but even, even then, um, even then just bringing on other people in any form, it, it, it sort of shifts the company away from, um, from basically this chaotic system that we were before, where it was just sort of three people doing whatever they wanted to who all had an equal stake in it and so nobody could tell any each other what to do and now we're sort of I don't know we've dipped our toes into being a little bit more like a real business and more process driven and more sort of steady with goals and uh, and milestones and all that uh,
0: in some ways does that keep things fresh for you that it's you're not going to a different company but now you've not pivoted the company but now you're Kind of putting on a little bit of the boss role, you know, with these two new people that are that were onboarded. Was that a fun challenge for you?
1: I would say definitely. I've really, I've really kind of enjoyed how my um, role has evolved um, because when when I st- when we started out, um, I was, you know, we were all essentially pure development, and then we started trying to grow the company. Start so we started going to more. Um, You know, conferences. And I, you know, one year I went to like 12 or 13 conferences, like that was back when they had conferences. And now, yeah. And so now, um, oh, and also like I was writing every post on the blog, like for six months or so, like I wrote a technical post a day for the blog, which I don't really recommend because it's a little bit intense. Um, But now I've sort of, uh, yeah, I've sort of stepped into a little bit more of a managerial position um, personally. And I've uh, yeah, and I've really sort of been focused on like building out our our blog in terms of getting more people to to help us write it, so we can have this sort of steady stream of of really useful technical content um, that isn't sort of a soul crushing task for me.
0: Well, you queued up the next topic perfectly, Star. So the reason I asked you onto the show is you know aside from loving the service. I absolutely adore the content that Honey Badger shares into the community. I reference an article at least once a week. And it's amazing. Even articles from like years and years ago are still wonderfully relevant. So I know that you've been leading these efforts. So when did your team decide to invest in content?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. That's really, that's really kind. Like I, I just spend all day, like all of us do sort of, in front of my computer in a quiet room (laughs) and I just sort of am throwing this stuff out in the world. And it's really nice to hear that somebody actually likes it Um, sort of one on one. That's just very, um, that's very pleasant to hear. So thank you Um, in terms of sort of we've always been big on content. Right. Um, When we launched around 20, uh, I forget the exact year, 2011. You know, having a Ruby blog was like the, like, that was how you were part of the Ruby community. Like, every Rubyist who was trying to be in the community had a blog where they, you know, probably had like three posts, but, you know, they they were doing their part. And so we started our blog and we started interacting with people that way. And just ever since then, it's been like a huge part of sort of who we are. Um, And like, we go to conferences and people know us because, um, like, you know, like you said, like they've, they found the blog useful, and that's been wonderful. Uh, we did um, sort of have a, a little bit of a shift in terms of focus, um, maybe two years ago, um, when we decided to pursue a. Basically, we decided to ha- have other people help us with the blog, and the reason for that is is twofold. Um, first of all, it's it's just it just takes a lot of time to write good blog posts, and so when I was writing like one blog post a day, like I literally didn't have time to do anything else. And so the, the reason that stopped eventually was just because I had to do some development, right? I had, there was something that needed to be done. And so I had to go off and do that. So no more blog posts. Um, like we, we had that cycle for many years where we would be on top of the blog for a while, then life would pop up and we would, you know, not post. And, you know, as a business who's trying to have a, continual stream of new users, that's not really the best um, approach. So, um, what I did um, about two years ago, I was just like, hey, th- this is like my favorite part of having a business, by the way, is I can just, I can just announce that I'm going to do stuff like this. I, I just get sort of announced, I'm like, hey, I'm going to spend like a month and just look at our revenue data, and see what I can find in it. Like, I have no idea what I'm going to learn. I'm just going to go look at all the charts of revenue and growth and all that and see like, if I can see if it correlates to anything or, or, or what. Um, just sort of pure science. And I did this and I found there was actually a pretty suggestive correlation between um, blog posting frequency and our rate of growth. Um, Probably like more than, than any, other, uh, any other factor I could find. And so we were like, okay, um, I, I sort of presented this, you know, these results at, um, our conclave. Like we, we have these quarterly planning meetings, we call them conclaves. So I presented these, um, results and, uh, we decided to actually put some budget behind it and to start bringing in new authors and try and sort of build a system where we can more, um, more reliably have a stream of incoming new content to publish. And sort of that's sort of what i've been building for the past year is getting this up and running and so now i think we have uh how many do we have we have i don't know 30 or 40 authors that we've um we've worked with we have this this pipeline set up with, um, you know, where we always have five or six articles being worked on at, at once. And we have sort of standardized processes for proposals and for editing and, and all that. And it just, it, it's sort of humming along like a, a, a machine. And it's really, I don't know, it's just really satisfying to see that work.
0: This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout APM is application performance monitoring designed to help Rails developers quickly find and fix performance issues without having to deal with the headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With the developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, Scout helps you quickly pinpoint and resolve performance concerns like N plus one queries, slow database queries, and memory bloat, so you can spend less time debugging and more time building a great product. And with Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails, you can rest easier knowing that Scout's on watch to help you resolve performance issues before your customers ever see them. Give Scout a try today with a free 14-day trial and experience firsthand why Rails developers worldwide call Scout their best friend. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open-source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com rubyonrails. Thank you to Scout APM for supporting the show. Yeah, that is so amazing. And I want to ask you what your strategy is for bringing a diverse array of new voices to Honey Badger's blog, because I've been enjoying all the content and I've really noticed that the authors really come from all different types of walks of life. And it just, it's really great because it, it paints such a great picture of your community.
1: Yeah, I really kind of love that. Like a core value of ours at Honey Badger is that like we're... We are people first. Like we, uh, you know, it took us the longest time to even kind of act like a real company. And and even though we're kind of acting a little bit more like a real company now, like we're still sort of human beings. And so I don't know. Like when um, when I'm I, I was building this uh, this sort of system and in this collection of of people, I hate it. I'm actually talking about people like things, which I don't like. This group of people. Um, like I really wanted it to be it to be a nice sort of warm, friendly um, place with lots of different people, and the reason for that is well, like I, I mentioned, like the big problem with um, doing all the posts myself was that it took too much time. But also, like the even bigger, an even bigger problem is that like I just ran out of stuff to write about, and that's because like my own knowledge is limited, um, my own uh, my interests are limited. I I just don't know everything that's out there, and especially when i'm trying to just like churn out content on a daily basis so um i thought you know what if we could just get like a wide sort of variety of people of different experience levels who are interested in different aspects of programming and just have them write about things that they are excited about and and that's that's what we do right like i i don't really know how other companies run their content um You know systems. But from what I've heard from talking to some of our authors who have worked for them is like, I think it tends to be a lot more top down, like it tends to be a lot more of a system where it's like, they have a backlog of article topics, and they assign them to an author and, you know, it's sort of what you'd expect, but it's kind of transactional. Whereas, um, you know, my my goal from the beginning in all of this was to uh, sort of empower developers who wanted to write Um, and allow them to write about things that they were passionate about and then you know steer that in a direction where it helped us as a business but that's really you know that's not sort of the primary um, the primary driver of of how it all works.
0: So do you have any advice for listeners about the overall editing process?
1: Um, Yes so I think like anything else is important when you're editing an article to have certain goals, right? Um, so my goals when I'm editing an article are—I don't know—they might be a little bit surprising to some people who don't do this on on the regular. Like a, a lot of people think of editing as being sort of grammar, spelling, usage, everything. Um, but my sort of goals are more like, okay, like I want the readers who make it to this page. I want them to start reading the article and keep reading it. Like, how can I make them do that? Like, I want to make this article easy for beginners to read, so that even if they don't quite understand everything that's going on, like, they'll get something. Um, you know, if if you only read half of the article, is it still useful, or do you have to? Is, is all the um, good stuff like down at in the second half? Um, like, I want it to be easily scannable, and uh, yeah, and then finally, like, I you know i would prefer that the grammar be more or less correct and the spelling be more or less correct because i mean let's be honest like this is the web and this is blogging and the if you're going to talk like a human being who's writing a blog post your grammar is not going to be correct some of the time
0: i agree i totally agree I think one criticism that we have from the Ruby community, and while HoneyBadger definitely goes beyond uh, Ruby articles, is that we just don't have enough developers talking about Ruby. And so it's great that you know HoneyBadger is putting content out there that sometimes relates to Ruby and Ruby on Rails. But do you often scan to see whether or not a topic has already been written about? Or do you feel that no matter what, you're getting a fresh take on it and just adding to the community is what's important?
1: Oh, that's a really interesting question. Honestly, I haven't even um, it hasn't even sort of crossed my mind to do that, uh, and part of the reason is that we don't really um, like. I personally, I am not that worried about you know SEO stuff. I'm not really worried about how the article places, and like our marketing person Ben Finley is very worried about all that stuff. So I don't want to I don't want to like downplay it. But personally, like I am much more interested in just making something where, you know, if you see it, you're like, oh, this is an interesting article. Like I want to share it with my team, or, you know, uh, yeah, I'm going to like put this. I'm going to think of this in six months when, uh, you know, I, I face a similar situation. That's that's the sort of um, engagement I'm looking for, and so I don't really go and look to see if things have already been written about, because I kind of assume that, yeah, I mean, a lot of Ruby stuff is so old that, that it's already been written about. Um, like, it's, it's really hard to write about something new. Um, and the other um, sort of answer to that is that we kind of take a, we kind of take a bit of a unique approach in how we write our blog posts. And so, so even when we cover a topic that's been covered before, We cover we we often cover it in a unique way where I think it still provides a lot of value to somebody, um, and we're not just you know we're not just churning out duplicate content.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I hope that the listeners listening. Uh, Take that advice that you know it's better to get content out there and don't be worried about what others have put out there because it just makes us look stronger as a community. Because no matter what, you likely have a different take and it's a personal take. So definitely put content out there.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And like I think, I'm sorry. Can can I just say something that I think is that it's kind of a um, it's kind of something that I think can make technical blog posts. in general sort of a lot better than they sometimes are um, i think like the key to a really good technical blog post is it's going to be empathy right and this kind of i don't know i am i'm bringing this up because like you mentioned sort of having a personal take and and all that and I don't know, this just really brought this to mind. Like, I, I, I think the thing that I personally do different than a lot of people um, when I'm looking at technical articles, or when I'm writing a technical, ar- technical article, is the thing I'm trying to keep, like, in the front of my mind is, like, who is the reader? Like, what do they want out of life? Like, what um, like what do they want out of this article? Like, what's going to be a good user experience for them as they read this article? Uh, and so you can write an article and I have like you can write an article about like um, enumerator methods right um, like you can write you can write an article about you know ruby's array standard library methods like I like I have done that and it can still be unique and interesting because you are writing it for a specific user and you have empathy for that user and you are sort of giving them a sort of beautiful experience around whatever, uh, whatever topic you're um, instructing them on.
0: This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Headspace. So you've probably tried meditation before and it didn't work, right? Or maybe you felt like you were doing it wrong? If mental health is part of your self-care plan this year, you owe it to yourself to try Headspace. I was skeptical, but I signed up and was really excited to see options that fit what I cared about. They had an option for meditating while running, biking, and amazingly, meditations for when you were in pain. As someone who recently twisted their ankle while running, this felt really personalized to me and helped a lot. Headspace can even help you tune into the moment with focus music specially curated by Headspace Chief Music Officer, John Legend. Let's face it, last year was pretty stressful for all of us. What if this year you had something to help you be less stressed and handle the ups and downs that life throws at you? You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com/rails. That's headspace.com/rails for a free 1-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Thank you to Headspace for supporting the show so i have an example from the honey badger blog that's a great example is that i have heard the word concurrency and ruby and innovations that are coming in ruby 3.0 and i was kind of embarrassed that i didn't really understand it and so honey badger did put out a blog post called opening the ruby concurrency toolbox and i feel that that article really got me to a place where i understood it a lot better and there was a lot of empathy in that article and i guess that is the kind of article that I guess I have relied on from the Honey Badger blog, so I'm grateful for your content.
1: Awesome. That's so wonderful to hear. And that that was such a good blog post. I was so proud of the author. Um, I mean, this, I can just go on and on about this, but like one of the coolest things about working with, with so many different authors is just I get to be so proud of them and so excited for them when they just knock it out of the park.
0: That's amazing. So, lastly, when do you know a topic is better for the blog versus discussing on your podcast, Founder Quest?
1: Um, it's, <laughs> it's funny that you ask that because I've never really thought about it. Um, I've never thought about it that way because, like in my mind, the blog and the podcast are so different. Um, for the podcast, we tend to focus on—I um, don't know—much more um, sort of small business as it. I don't know. It's a weird mix of tech and um, small business stuff, and so I don't know. The, the The podcast tends to be just sort of us chatting about whatever weird issue happens to be, you know, occupying our minds at the moment as it relates to our business. Like it could be, it could have to do with conversion rates. It could have to do with, um, like, you know, um, redoing our user system to fix an issue that was basically due to technical debt from years and years ago. So it's just kind of this weird mix, Um, and topics like that I generally don't uh, go into on the blog. I I generally don't go into sort of opinion pieces on the blog or sort of just general programming stuff on the blog. And the reason for that is that I want the actual post to be read, and one of the ways we ensure that our posts get read is that we we promote them on certain—I um, don't know—in certain places where where people are likely to find them. For example, um, in the Ruby community, we've got um, Ruby Weekly, the you know Peter Cooper's weekly um, newsletter, and we've um, we sort of worked with them not not as a I say we've worked with them. We've like bought advertising from them in the past. I don't know if we currently are, but we, you know, if our blog, if our blog post gets featured on there, um, then we'll get more readers. And if it doesn't, um, and to do that, then it needs to be pretty Ruby centric. It needs to, um, I don't know. It just needs to fit with the mission of that newsletter and the same for other platforms. like there's other, there's other platforms for like Go stuff for JavaScript and so our our blog topics are a little bit more finely crafted than the founder quest topics, um, which tend to be just kind of free ranging.
0: So is the ultimate goal of founder quest really? In some ways, it's uh, I love the podcast by the way, oh, but it's like you. almost like miniature therapy sessions. And then like kind of you know that you're going to have these discussions with your co-founders, so you might as well record them and share them so that others can learn.
1: Yeah, it is kind of a weird, um, a weird therapy. And that, I mean, I'm not sure if that sounds like the best listening experience. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, sometimes, um, yeah, sometimes the the podcast is just sort of us processing whatever is like going on, like in the moment, right? Because like when, when pandemic hit, And we were just like, okay, does this mean like we're just going to have to suddenly like we're going to suddenly have a downturn in business? And, you know, thankfully it hasn't meant that so far, but like we were doing a bit of processing on the air just because that's, that's when we were all sort of in a a Zoom room talking to each other. Uh, You know, other times we do, uh, we do just sort of like pick a topic uh, that's more. I don't know, just more specific and more um, interesting, but it always sort of relates to what we're working on in the moment. And so we, you know, because of that, I think we have some, some interesting things to say about it.
0: I think you do. It feels like you have the fourth chair in the room. So uh, if you have any question about it, it is definitely interesting and listeners are enjoying it.
1: <laughs> oh, good. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So what I
0: ask all of my guests is what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? And feel free to, any hot takes, you know, it is totally your opinion.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I think this might be kind of a, it might be a lukewarm take. I don't know. Um, It might be just a, you know, a a heating pad on your lower back after a long day take. Uh, um, But yeah, like I I mentioned earlier that the Honey Badger as a product has sort of matured. And I think that Ruby and Rails and their communities have kind of matured in a in a way that's really healthy. I mean, like like when you're a teenager and you're really into like punk and your idea like your whole identity is punk and you'll argue about, you know, with your grandpa about how like punk is way better than the Beatles and you'll be like super annoying. Um like that's that's just the nature of like being a teenager, right? And similarly, like when you've got a um, tech platform that's like the hot new thing and everybody's like into it, people kind of like act like that. Uh, like, I like I remember like back when when Rails was sort of new, like in the the early two thousands or so. Like, like we used to sort of be kind of jerks to the PHP people, um, you know, because we're so sure that Rails was was better. Um, but I think the the community has sort of grown up and grown out of that phase, and so. Yeah, so we don't have to be the most popular anymore. Like, it's just enough that we're here, we're writing software, and we're hanging out and doing Ruby with our friends.
0: That's fabulous. So, Star, how can listeners follow you and Honey Badger?
1: Okay, well, um, my Twitter account is uh, Starhorn and the Honey Badger Twitter account is Honey Badger app. And if you want to check out our podcast, it's FounderQuest on, you know, iTunes or Apple. I always forget what they're calling it now. They change the name every six months, but on on, on podcast apps, you know, it's called FounderQuest. Um and that's yeah, that's it.
0: Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. And thank you for all the wonderful, diverse contributions to the Ruby community. And, you know, keep producing all this wonderful content because we will eagerly read it.
1: Thank you, Star. Thank you. Bye.